Today we're babbling about baby tech and realizing that when society doesn't know where it's going, the best way to get there is with a hundred billion different roads. That is telekinetic. yourself. Hola, I am Mitch. You are here and Jen Sadesky is in Pittsburgh where she runs a hardware startup for the world's tiniest customers. They say it takes a village and the fact that that's no longer true in the literal sense is in many ways owed to generations of applied parenting wisdom. Baby tech, in theory, is the packaging of that wisdom into something any individual parent can acquire. So instead of finding the village, you just need to find your credit card, and the village arrives in a cardboard box from Amazon. Jen's here to break down the hype, so let's welcome her to the show. What time is it anyway? How's it going? Fine and dandy. Good to see your face. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to see humans, man. <laughs> Today we are going to talk about your world, which is uh, baby tech, one of my favorite terms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had you on for a few reasons today, but one of them is in a lot of our previous episodes, what we end up talking about a lot is these real macro movements, right? The changes in human movement from like having to walk across uh, an, a wide area to go get water uh, for your village to aqueducts and irrigation and things like that, right? But in baby tech, there's a whole, there, there is that, right? There's the macro movements, but then there's also the micro movements. And it's just, it runs this whole gamut from car seats and strollers <laughs> to move, literally move your baby to little things like, you know, not having a mom have to turn their head. So, and, and, yeah. and that to me is super interesting. Those micro movements are the kind of things we haven't really covered a lot on the show. And I really love to talk more about it because they're just as important, but they're so easily overlooked. So I guess the first question is if you could just kind of give us a little bit of the lay of the land of innovations in baby tech or even more broadly, just movement related to being a parent and, uh, and raising a child and how we've progressed that quote unquote over, over time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, love talking about baby tech all the time. So I'm always happy to chat with you. <laughs> so yeah, in baby tech, a lot of what we've seen, you know, a longer history of that impacts our movement are like the traditional baby monitors, the analog. Uh, I don't need to walk into the other room to see or to listen to my baby at least yeah. and to know, you know, what's going on in there on some level kind of stepping beyond that, we've also used other technologies for our parenting purposes, right? And just calling around to our friends and our community to get ideas and help because when you have a baby, everything, uh, you've read all of the books and you have all of this information in your head, but it just somehow doesn't always seem to apply to this one <laughs> child who's in front of you. Yeah. And so uh, that kind of village mentality where people used to be very connected 
as they're raising their babies. Um, you know, we've used communications technologies as they've come along heavily for this, you know, and even, even like informational technologies like videos and that sort of thing. Uh, but more recently, we've got all of this burst on the scene of technologies that touch our humans, like even stepping away from the computer, the things that we can wear, the things that we can touch, computer vision, all of these sorts of things. So we have wearables uh, where you can put a sock on your baby and you can get some sense of the pulse oximetry of the child or a camera that's looking at your kid and telling you uh, how well this child is sleeping. And, uh, you know, kind of reorienting to that communications and community-centric piece of parenting and really what baby tech is is uh, kind of buttressing <laughs> the weak points of that we have in our, our current society is is that community aspect. So we have a lot of apps that are parenting apps that have like a real social component. Uh, you say, you know, hey, my kid slept through the night for the first time and then everybody can give you a little like clap or, you know, like you do in other <laughs> social profiles. Tons of, you know, Facebook mommy groups and that sort of thing. And, and all the way down to that informational stuff, like going to WebMD instead of needing a pediatrician in the middle of the night to, to calm yourself or rile yourself up <laughs> as your person. Personality yeah. inclines. <laughs> so yeah. it's really kind of broad because parenting, you had mentioned before, uh, it's been done a billion times. <laughs> and you're right, uh, or a hundred billion times, sorry, 108 billion times, I think Google told me. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, yeah, like it's something that happens for so many people that we're getting to see it touch all these different areas of tech. And that's kind of fun. Yeah. And, and I think the high tech stuff really accentuates some of the interesting, you know, latest riffs on it takes a village. Right. And you brought up all these points around how I guess it's something you kind of innately understand and appreciate if you buy something like a stroller or a car seat or a baby monitor that it's like, well, this company made this. They probably did a lot of research and research is really no different from a bunch of people, you know, telling you like this is the best thing for your baby. I've done babies before blah, blah, blah. So that makes sense. But then it, it gets really interesting when, to your point, you start to talk about stuff like the sock and the camera that are using algorithms and, and computer vision and all of that stuff to say, because we know this is all powered by humans eventually, right? As much as people might want to think it's kind of this weird dystopian <laughs> take on things like, oh, a camera's <laughs> watching my baby or whatever. It's like, well, no, the camera is is a proxy for the hundreds or thousands of intelligent people who know things about babies who are basically like, this is a funnel for their guidance on how to help your baby. That is like a super interesting balance to me, like you said, because there is such an emphasis, I guess I'm, I might be uh, getting ahead of my hot take, but, <laughs> but that, you know, there's this sense of like every parent and baby relationship is special and unique and, you know, you, it can't be replicated, but it's like, well, there's some magic to that, but also like there's value in taking away the magic of a thing and saying like, well, how can we actually examine this and see what's the same and, and what can be understood as a pattern and then improved and all that other stuff that technology is supposed to be doing. I get, I'm also getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to let you plug a little bit of the thing you're doing so that people have, I, I think it's good for people to have a specific idea of this kind of like high tech baby tech. And so who better than you to provide an example of that? 
Great, great. Yeah. So um, I make a baby thing. Um, our company is Connect Wolf, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of a a background. Uh, if this is if yeah, to to kind of orient you to this. My background is in diagnostics and medical devices, and I've been really lucky to experience a lot of corners of the medical system. And so my long term passion and the mission of our company Connect Wolf is to be part of building that more personal, ethical, equitable future of health. But when you look at a society with a broken healthcare infrastructure, when you go in to help, the successful strategy is consistently to start with new moms, maternal and infant health. When you get something that works for her, she'll deploy it to her family and then to her community. And so that's where we're starting as a company. But when you are a startup, people like, like you to talk about the very tiny first version of the thing you're working on and not your larger vision. So uh, right now we're working on a baby wearable called Presh. It is a wrap, like a, a soft good wrap that you would put around a baby's arm or leg. And it has a, a little hardware box in it that has sensors and GPS and a cell antenna and a Bluetooth and all those sorts of things. And so what we are doing right now is I'm actually going to jump ahead too, and uh, to counter the hot take a little bit here. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that a lot of the value found in developing like new technologies is looking at really unique ways that people can use them. And instead of trying to replace it with a general way or find the best way and say everyone should do it this way, pr provide a tool for the user to do it their way but use that tool to give them more space to do it or more power to do it in more context than they previously mm. could. Mm. So, so less of replacing the thing itself and more about building a tool where people can use what they already have. And so, uh, yeah, what we're looking at is kind of the natural habit cycles of new moms and that instinct to stand up off the couch, walk over to the nursery, peek their head in and see that their baby is and when we've talked to them, we understand that what they're looking for are two pieces of information. Where is my baby and are they okay? And so at that resolution, the peak in the nursery resolution, we want to use like this really complex, massive amount of data that we can get out of this technology to give one very high quality yes or no. Yeah. So the question they're looking for is a yes or no. We can give a really high quality yes or no. I think what you guys are doing is such a, it's such a simple thing to grasp for listeners of this show because it literally is solving that. I mean, it, it solves more than just transportation and I'm obviously belittling it a bit for the sake of the frame of my podcast, but like, cause it's emotional and everything too, but I have to transport whether it's my head or my body or whatever. I need to go check on this baby to make sure that I didn't do anything horribly wrong to it in neglecting it so that I can go about whatever other things I have to do with my life. And so much of the tech that's, as you've mentioned, has bubbled up over the years and decades is really about helping moms to be something other than a mom. <laughs> you know, yeah. you are a human being. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you have other things to do with your life. But I think that's, it's also interesting to point out because so much of that does speak to why the baby market is so lucrative. I mean, babies and pets are basically like just guaranteed winners. <laughs> if you come up with anything, it's half decent that solves problems for owners of pets or or mostly moms, but parents of babies. Then it's like, okay, you're you're good to go. So, 
So yeah. I guess I want to maybe back it up or just take a higher view because I know you've got a good perspective on why it's such a lucrative market and why solving problems around something as simple as transporting your head from one direction to another is like a thing that has value to people. Sure. Yeah. I, first of all, I want to say we talk to a lot of pet owners um, because we, if we were able to regularly shave your dog or cat, we could put this on your animal <laughs> and it would work fine. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so in, in doing so, like that is a very, really interesting market and definitely a lucrative market to go into. So if anybody is, is playing with some baby tech and that's why you're listening to this and you want to try something a little bit offbeat, uh, that is a really cool market to play in. The reason that baby tech is such an easy sell, it gets eaten up, <laughs> is that, and I don't want to say it's easy to win in this category. I mean, you, you, need, right. you have a lot of things to um, consider, like privacy and consent, baby safety. And, um, you know, there are a lot of players who want to be in this market, but <laughs> parenthood requires so much mental load that a family is not historically uh, have access to. So some tasks can be outsourced if you have like a high family income, but like even then the management and all the executive decisions that have to be made are in the parents' hands. I, I always say raising the next generation of humans is enormous, important volunteer work the mm. parents have taken on, and there are just a million moving pieces. Like, uh, you educate yourself on all of those things, what's best educational methodologies, physical development, friends and feelings, and anti-racism, and tying shoes, and um, then you get, <laughs> <laughs> you find you find ways to access those things, and um, like regularly be pushing and responding to all the tactical bits, and iterating constantly for this individual human, and your individual needs, and your family's collective needs, and your community's connective, collective needs. Like the people management, and the project management involved in raising a child is enormous, and you just can't outsource all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you are, uh, are are super wealthy, so like that check in that your kid is okay that we're focusing on as our starting point is like just one piece of that mental load. And I always talk about like moms, and I get I get a lot of people who say, "Hey, what about dads?" Well, you know, we have awesome dads who definitely take on an enormous amount of responsibility in the home, but like that doesn't actually solve the problem. So moms really do in our society still overwhelmingly take on this work. And most moms are women. Uh, letting the typical woman have, for example, the same mix of career and family that a typical man in our society has access to, isn't gonna happen just by having two partners who are willing to do the work equally. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, the math doesn't work. Most careers and jobs out there are built over decades for people with full-time resource taking care of any kids at home. And um, we haven't made work life less intensive than it was when single income houses were typical before 1980. Like it's gone the other way, right? So yeah. the amount of work in our old single income average household plus <laughs> our family needs. Now we have two full-time jobs and then additional hours worked, which is seven hours more per week. I, 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 I looked this up, right? Like I sat down and did the math. And when you plug this all together, it used to be like 80 hours of mental load work. We could, we could talk about pre-1980. And like now we're looking at 134 if we want um, equality and also to have a job that competes in like 
a, a society where people work more than 40 hours per week as a standard. So that's a 54 uh, hour increase of household work to conjure up um, that we can't just be more efficient or have a supportive partner to, to meet. Exactly. Like that, that, yeah. yeah, that family mental load, it, it kind of has to be disrupted in some way. And um, baby tech or family tech is trying to do that from a lot of different angles. And so, you know, sometimes we're just also exhausted. Uh, we're going to drink, we're going to buy up the good products, but we're probably going to drink the sand if you put it out there. We're so, so desperate. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, you know, it's funny. It's like in retrospect, if you can go back now, it's kind of like, oh, I really wished we had found a way to make two 20 hour a week jobs for families instead of like, oh, well, women going into the workplace, I guess means they also work a 40 hour a week. It's like, well, <laughs> well, no, that didn't. Yeah, that was 40 hours that turned into 80, not 40 hours that turned into two people doing 40, which was like kind of you would think would have been the idea. Yeah. And somehow so, turned into 87. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, then, yeah, exactly. As as we went to, I'm writing an article about this right now, but like, you know, as we went, um, production line type work where, I mean, obviously it's not always fair or I should say, um, you know, favorable working conditions, but it at least was fair from a contractual perspective where you knew like, sure. I work nine to five, that is what I do. And then I leave. And now all of a sudden it was like, well, no, now there's office jobs and there's salaries. So we like now the whole concept of production and compensation is nebulous. So of course it becomes a competitive environment. And yep. as to your point, right? It's like, if you want to get ahead in that environment, it means just work as much as you can. And now we're going to multiply that by two. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, still a baby over here. Still need the same <laughs> amount of love as I always did. All right. Well, this is the first time I've done this, but I'm going to reconfigure my hot take based on what we've talked about here. Nice. <laughs> Do it. So I, so what I was going to say was my hot take, I'll, I'll still stick with this, but I'll, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. So I'll say that the first step in innovation is to destroy the, the sanctity of tradition. And we talked about this before about how, you know, I have the luxury of saying this cause I'm not a dad and I don't have to deal with parenting, but <laughs> you know, it's like, as much as you want to say my baby is special, this is, my, you know, this is a very magical and wondrous and unique scenario. We've done it a hundred billion times as, as a society. And if you want to advance it, that means we have to tear down the notion that this is a, this is a, a religious, uh, you know, sacred thing that, that cannot be touched. Like that is the nature of innovation is to say, well, we can't say something is sacred and, and can't be dismantled or, or reconfigured. And I was basically going to leave it at that and say, and say, that's my challenge to you is like, is, uh, is, you know, we have to be this and you're doing it in, in baby tech, obviously, but that you have to be more scientific about it and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. Typical thing a dude would say, but my amendment there based on some of the stuff you said is that at some point, I don't know if it's the second step or whatever, but another part of innovation is mutation. And you talked about it as far as using the technology to allow parents to accentuate the things that they're doing as parents, whether that helps them improve or whether it helps them become good feedback loops for the product itself to say like, well, this is how I use it. And like, oh, well that, okay, that changes how we do it. And I think that's, if you think about evolution, right? The notion that we can't, you don't innovate by everyone just going in one direction. You innovate by experimenting, giving the platform to say, okay, we're all going to try a couple different things. 
And then we might find something works better than another, but you have to be able to do that experimentation. And so, yeah, that's kind of interesting, interesting for me to think about it because this technology does give folks the opportunity to accentuate the way they parent, which in, which in my mind initially on this hot take was that's bad because like accentuating your unique ways that you parent is going towards suboptimal outcomes when we probably <laughs> have an optimal outcome. And to your point, no, that's, that's not really it. Maybe it's like we, you know, we do need to have that experimentation because someone's going to find new ways, new interesting ways, better ways, or, or even just, you know, alternatives that work for others that, that don't work for some. So I guess I've answered my own hot take, but I, but I, but you're welcome to kind of uh, dig into yeah. the initial part there and, and drag me on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely have some thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> as for most things, sorry. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the idea that accentuating multiple various ways of doing this work uh, instead of identifying the best way to do it is a really like revolutionary thought. Like what you're talking about that, like let's find the best way and deploy that. I, like I always talk about tech bros, <laughs> like the, the, how I love my tech bros, but also in this industry, <laughs> it's maybe not the best culture that's noble. And I think that it's beautiful, but humans are really dynamic and that we have a lot of complexity in our systems and not just for an individual, like yes, so much for an individual, but also for that individual's interactions in their greater community, in their family, mm -hmm. and with the individual parent, right? My, my husband and I are parenting the same child, but he and I are very different people. And so we need to use different tools, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. techniques. So I do a lot of talks about tech ethics. And one of the things that I always come back to is the story about children's development in language development and in motor skills. There is a very broad range in, in the way that these developmental skills come about. And my child was in a developmental surveillance program. So every once in a while, someone would come check and make sure that he's okay. And, you know, sometimes he was ahead in something or behind in something else. And, you know, they always said, you know, as long as we're ahead in some things and behind in some things in the next time, we're cool. Um, it was a, a very, it felt like a very qualitative um, assessment there. But I was, I was speaking with some people about this, be, since this is so much of our area, the children in societies, like in cultures, where the babies are strapped to the parents' front the whole time, mm -hmm. and they're in your face while you're having conversations, they're uh, <laughs> It's super weird for me, by the way. Right, right. Yeah, but you've seen people wear babies on their fronts, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, yeah. So there are places where this is very typical and the kids are very involved in the facial expressions and the linguistic back and forth mm. of the dynamics between the people there. And so their language development takes off early, right? And so you could say, hey, uh, it's really important to be doing this, right? If that's what your sample size shows. You, you've always got to be thinking in the back, you've probably got some algorithmic inequity going on. And what, what lies is that telling you, right? Yeah. So, so on the other side, we might have um, people whose children are, are picked up if they're sad, like if, they, if the children cry out for something, but otherwise they're basically allowed to climb around the house as they would like to. Um, they are not caged in the way that most families would like restrict their child. And so these kids, they, they get very strong and they get a lot of developmental activity in that gross motor skills early on. So if you look at this and that, you could 
you know, end up advising parents to do one thing or do another thing. And I like to add that third group in, if you uh, strap your baby into what we like to call baby receptacles, <laughs> like a seat <laughs> that, that is maybe on the ground or in a corner, in mommy groups, we often call them circles of neglect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been so, in a few of those in my day. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So if you leave a baby strapped into that for an extended period of time, they actually, they're not getting either of those. It turns out it doesn't matter what order you develop in, right? Whether you start early with the, the language or and later with the gross motor or vice versa. But if you strap kids into these baby receptacles for extended periods of time, they are missing out on, on prime development time because mm. they don't have access to like either of those things. So it'd be really possible if we left out either the group that straps their babies up here or the group that lets their babies down to run around, that we could accidentally loop in that left out group with the baby receptacle group, right? Yeah. yeah so you said you like to think about this scientifically and I, I'm a scientist, right? This is how I, I'm trained as a scientist. I, I do have a background in engineering, but I, I was trained as a molecular biologist. So yeah, um, yeah. For just to be clear, you are way more of a scientist than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So whenever I'm thinking about like the like larger concepts here, I, in my mind, I'm picturing these enormous data sets and what's behind them. And I, I feel like these are things that we might be able to get at one by one over time, but like we have to respect the complexity of it. In, in the same way that in precision medicine, we know that you can have a cancer that looks exactly like another cancer, but until you do a, a molecular analysis on which mo molecules this cancer is producing, you don't know which chemo cocktail to use, right? right. Yeah. Like this is really deep advanced stuff that is going to take a very long time and a lot of really smart data to get at. So, so that's kind of where I am on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. I, and you know, it's funny cause I, now I'm remembering back on things I've said to other people before that doesn't make me sound as ignorant about, um, in regards to my hot take, <laughs> but, uh, but like I, you know, I remember kind of, uh, debating with folks I've worked in, in the space around machine learning and AI and just saying like, you guys really need to have more moms in here to assess the models and, and the outputs and everything. Because, because so much of it is just like optimizing against like loss function or basically saying like, you know, try to try to, you know, optimize as much as possible, but like nobody, nobody knows better the random like decisions that uh, the growing brain can make that make no sense on the surface, but actually have like, they, there's real process happening there than moms, right? Like kids do things that make absolutely no sense to what we would consider to be like optimal humans, AKA adults, which is also bullshit. But, you know, but then it's like, it's not like the kids' brains aren't, it's not like the brains are just randomly doing stuff. It's like they, they're thinking things and the way they're thinking about the world is just far different from you. Right. And that's, Again, some of that magic of that mutation is like they could be thinking about the world. I mean, this is going back to the first podcast I ever tried to do, Ask Five Whys, which was like, I think the smartest people in the world are seven-year-olds because they just ask why until you give up. And it's like, that's the right answer. <laughs> the right answer is like, ask why until you realize no one has the answer. Like that is the smartest answer. And anything other than that, any conclusion <laughs> is just an admission that like, I have given up trying to learn and this is what I'm going to say the end. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, um, I've been in a lot of AI spaces and, um, 
and not just ethical AI spaces, like like the tech spaces, and there is a lot more, I mean, just from my uh, anecdotal experience here, a lot more gender diversity in, in that area of tech yeah. than in any other area of tech that I've been in. And I've been in a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, I, I really, I think that that is really helpful. I think that people are actually being a lot more cautious than people in other areas of tech mm. are. And I think that the culture is a little bit more around that. That doesn't mean that every individual is, but I think that there, sure. there, there are strings of expectation in, in our like different uh, like genres of tech culture. Yeah. And it, in AI, there's definitely a um, let's offer utility, but like also. Yeah, yeah. Question, 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 question. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, probably the I, I think most humans probably would find themselves on like team baby AI versus like <laughs> team autonomous car AI or you know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Which is which is fair for sure. Well, I you know, I, and I'm I'm just now recalling like a conversation I had with one of my cousins once, which I, I think ultimately speaks to again why we shouldn't be going for like optimal function, is that he's just like man, I just don't want to raise my kid the way my dad raised me. And I was like, well, yeah, because you don't want to, you don't want to end up raising an asshole. He's like, yeah. I was like, are you an asshole? He's like, no, I mean, I think I'm a good person. I was like, so your crappy dad raised a good person. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> like, so really like there's no guarantee that being a good parent even produces a good kid or what does good even mean? So it's just like, there's just a ton of experimentation happening after all. And it's not like, oh, we've done this a hundred billion times before. It's like, well, we have. That doesn't necessarily mean that we know exactly what we're looking for or why we should even be looking for anything in particular anyway. And yeah. Yeah. I think that we're at a real risk of turning parenting into a hammer factory. And then all of a sudden we look around and we're like, where are the screwdrivers? Where are the bigger hammers? Where are the smaller hammers? You know, yeah. where's my 3D printer? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to necessarily be a good parent individually. We're thinking like you're, you're trying to think in a larger picture, right? Yeah. So whenever we take one solution and apply it broadly, we're really lucky that our, our tech moves slow enough and that we, we get to ask these questions. Yeah. That's important that it moves slow enough for now, at least we'll see. Yeah. Cool. This is, I, you know, it's, it's of course always insightful to talk to you about this stuff. So you already mentioned Connect Wolf. Do you want to uh, more directly plug it? Like where can people find you or buy your yeah. thing or provide feedback? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to www.connectwolf.com, um, you'll find all of our things that you can follow and reach out. And feel free. I love people to email me and tell me how I'm screwing up the world because that <laughs> that is a beautiful, usually I, some of my closest mentors and confidants right now are, are people who like started out not liking what I was doing. Awesome. <laughs> and then we, we get to talk and, and we get to make my product better. And like, usually you're, you're interesting. So awesome. Yeah. I will definitely send people your way. Cause you, and, and I've said this before, but you know, you're a great person to interact with. You have kind of that superpower of engaging folks and getting them to be interested. It doesn't surprise me that someone who would start out saying like you suck and what you're doing sucks would become your biggest fan. <laughs> it's definitely a superpower that you have. Um, and not in not in the manipulative like con man sociopath way, but in like the true like empathetic way. Um, it can be both. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong. I'm just joking. Yeah. All right. Awesome, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Jen for spoon feeding us the goods. 
Thanks to Heather Gray for assisting on this episode. Thanks to Ben Montgomery for the soundtrack. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Hot takes and hot guests are always welcome. Send them on over to Telekinetic Show on Twitter or telekineticshow.com. Bye-bye, baby. Bye-bye.